What's up, KSAP? James Ford, that's me. Let me talk to him. Let's get it. I'm sick of ball dropping. I'm sick of ball dropping. Chopping up these topics, man. I'm sick of ball dropping. Driving coast to coast, making moves ain't stopping. Driving coast to coast, making moves ain't stopping. Hey, let me put you on game. These other podcasts, I hear talking this, but ain't repping the same. This my bro KSAP. Chopping up topics for your optics. From politics to your top picks. Tune in, you gotta watch this. Exclusive material for your radio. Stop what you doing and listen, we smashing all competition, you better jump on this wave, somebody pass me a mic, man I got something to say, And now, your host of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast, the man behind the mic, KSAC. Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. I'm your host and the man behind the mic, KSAP. In today's episode, um, we're going to talk about the NBA potentially returning and what do we think about that, the schedule, on how it's going to play off into the playoffs. Um, we're going to touch on, you know, episodes seven and eight of the last dance i have one of my co-hosts on the line on the simply ball dropping hotline r&b he's going to be joining me to discuss these topics and we're going to dive right in um with the nba on a hiatus um it's a potential that the nba can return return to you know normal scheduled programs but with no fans in the stands and R&B, I just want to ask you, what is your take and what are you hearing on your end of the NBA potentially returning and playing without no fans? K-Sap, K-Sap. Man, it's always a pleasure to be on your show, man. Kick it with your, uh, all your fans and your listeners, man. On this NBA topic, whew, man, you got, a lot, you got your hands full right here because, you know, certain areas across the country – are in different situations with this pandemic. So some states are lax with the social distancing and some states are, you know, have pretty tight restrictions. So with some facilities being able to open up and others, you know, remaining closed, it just makes it, you know, really convoluted and uh, makes the picture really cloudy uh, trying to get a game plan to get the season started again because, you know, teams that are going to be affected with the strict, uh, you know, quarantine situations, they're going to be at a disadvantage. I mean, what do you, what do you do about that? I mean, do you move them to another state? You know, do they play in a neutral site? I mean, I, I, for me, a neutral site, it might not make any difference anyway because they're going to be playing without fans. So, I mean, do you want to shoot at your bucket or does a bucket really matter? Well, in this situation, a bucket shouldn't matter. I mean, they NBA players, man. I mean, you you can shoot on any bucket. And my thing is a lot of players have been talking about, I mean, if you're going to open up certain facilities, you know, like you said, a disadvantage to some because of the strict guidelines on their social distancing and their quarantine and their stay at home. 
it's not fair to certain states with some of these teams. And a lot of players are saying, if you're going to open it up, we need to open it up simultaneously. Not one you know, team gets a jump and then the other team has to lag behind. That's not fair because if you're going to continue the season, then everybody should have a fair shake. And, you know, a lot of sources are saying that, you know, Chris Paul, the president of the NBA's Players Association, got together with a group of guys with the likes of LeBron James. Even Kawhi pitched in on this one. Kevin Durant, um, Russell Westbrook, um, Damon Lillard. Um, they was on a conference call on Monday, you know, wanting this NBA season to resume. And when you got guys like Kawhi Leonard partaking in things like that, you know, these guys want to play. So in this situation, what you touched on is in different states, you know, the rules are a little different for the, you know, social distancing and the stay at home. So I agree with you. It's not fair to some of the teams that are on strict guidelines and other teams are laxed in other states. So it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, we can open this NBA season back up because, we don't want this NBA season to go for nothing because it was get, it was getting interesting. After the All-Star break, to me, it was getting interesting. So what is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's one of those things where, you know, you don't want the season to end like this. I mean, for me personally, you know, and not only just me personally, but, you know, we just went through a lot of high school seasons where kids, you know, um, you know, they're trying to get to the next level of college and they didn't have the opportunity to finish their basketball season because a lot of the uh, state championships um, were canceled. Some of them did get to uh, participate in uh, state championships and things like that, but not everybody across the country. Um, so as it, you know, kind of, goes to the NBA, you know, those guys, they're doing the same thing. They're preparing for seasons. You know, what's different with them is, you know, they, they get older. And for them, age matters. For the high schoolers that didn't get to uh, finish their high school seasons and things, they still have another opportunity because they're young. But these NBA guys, some of them are at the point where, you know, another year added on to – you know, their resume and their career makes a huge difference. So I think for all of those guys and, and for us as fans, you know, with not a lot going on right now, you know, I think we'd be willing to take a little bit of anything, you know, whether it's fans in the stands or whether it's no fans in the stands. I think we just want to see somebody competing. But at the same time, we got to, you know, be careful that we don't put those guys at risk just for our own selfish needs of just wanting to see sports back on TV, um, you know, from that perspective. Now, I totally agree. And another thing that I look at when you said, you know, a year that goes by, another year that they age, right? So mm -hmm. if you look at it this way, on the flip side, who is this benefiting? Is this benefiting the younger group or is this benefiting the older group? Because as you get older and, you know, sometimes you got to take time away for your body to adjust and heal 
to get back in. But we don't know what these guys are doing through this pandemic, through this quarantine. We don't know what kind of workouts they do because you only see certain guys that have put certain things on social media Oh, that they're working out in their garage. And, you know, it, it was alarming to hear that a lot of these guys didn't have a lot of basketball goals at their residence to shoot on. So that was kind of alarming to me. So we don't know what these guys are doing through these quarantine because you've only heard from a few athletes on the NBA level. You, you've seen pictures and videos of LeBron working out. You've seen Steph Curry, you know, doing some things. Um, but other than that, I mean, you really haven't seen too many guys putting videos up or working out. So we really don't know what they're doing. So like you said, you get older. Who is this benefiting? Do you think this is benefiting the younger group or is this benefiting the older group? I, I think at this point in the season, it's benefiting the older group because this actually gives them a chance to, you know, heal up a little bit get some nicks and wounds that they um, took on during the season thus far, and it gives them a chance. I mean, they pretty much only need like a couple of weeks to get back, get ready um, once we get going again. Just because they've done it so many times, they know what their body does, they know how to, you know, what to be doing right now during these situations, as well as, they know what it takes to get their body to that same level. So it doesn't take as much each year for them to get back to that point to be ready to compete. Now, you know, for the guys, I mean, it's, it's really surprising, and you, you just touched on it, that a lot of those guys, you know, they used to leave in the home, going hooping up at the gym. And then the ones that are really serious about their craft, they're the ones that have these facilities at their home, whether they have, you know, a half-court situation or they build something outside. Some of these guys, I was just kind of laughing, like, what they had. I mean, um, uh, Mike Conley. He, man, he had a full-blown gym at the crib. Yes. And that was, that was, it was literally impressive, you know, that he gets his shots up when he wants to get his shots up. And not everybody could do that. You know, some of them guys had some outside situations. Some guys had inside situations. But, you know, it's kind of funny that, you know, other guys didn't even have anything at all, you know, which is surprising. That's very alarming, man, because, I mean, you, you're in the NBA. You're making X amount of dollars, and, you know, this is how you're making your money. You're making your money by hooping. And if you're a hooper, I mean, I know a lot of people that have these big cribs, they – always have these workout facilities and these gyms inside their home. You know, you look at the likes of, of Shaq. You know, Shaq got a, a a big old basketball court. You know what I'm saying? You know, Kobe, rest in peace, had his basketball court. You know, LeBron has his little basketball court. You know, I've, I've seen, you know, Snapchats of Hassan Whiteside from Portland. You know, he was getting his full-court basketball court installed in his neighborhood. So, I mean, these guys that make all this money, they should have all these accommodations. I mean, this is what you do. This is your lifestyle. If you go back and how we used to watch MTV Cribs and you would take a tour of people's cribs, a lot of people had basketball courts inside their home. So for these guys to make X amount of dollars for not having, you know, the tools to, 
you know, perfect your craft, man, it's kind of alarming. And it's crazy that you said about Mike Conley. Man, his was impressive. And, and you wouldn't even think about Mike Conley having something that superior and the rest of these guys that are big names in the sport don't have these accommodations. So, like I said, that was alarming to me. So, as we talk about that and the potential of the NBA returning, I mean, I think we got like 15 to 16 games left. So, let me ask you, what kind of schedule would you like to see for these last 15 to 16 games ending the season and then going into the playoffs and how it should be structured? I think probably for me, I'm thinking between 10 and 12 games. I think they definitely need between 10 and 12 games. I think off the top, they probably need two weeks um, to kind of get to that rigor, getting the body prepared so nobody gets hurt or injured. And then they need probably between like 10 to 12 games. I wouldn't go 15. I mean, I know it's only a difference of a couple, but, you know, at this point, Get 10 to 15, get preparation. Really, what you're trying to do is get prepared for the playoffs. Yes. So, I mean, you know, we don't need to do all 15 games to get to that point. So I would, like I said, I'm going probably two weeks to a little bit of training camp, mini training camp, um, something where they can get the legs back under them. Um, and then at that point, probably looking at about 10 to 12 games. Um, but, you know, kind of, back to what we were just talking about. It's really unfair for some of the teams that aren't going to be able to open up their facilities. You know, um, they're going to be at a huge disadvantage. And you don't want some teams making decisions to try to get back on even playing and putting their players at risk. Well, it's, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because, like you said, it, it's like you said, certain stipulations in different states where these basketball teams are located. And when you touched about the 10 to 12 game criteria coming back from the pandemic, do you think that would be fair for the seventh and eighth seeds, the eighth seeds and the ninth seeds that are on the bubble having potentially can make the eighth seed and you shorten out the 16 games to 12 games that's a big difference. So do you think that would be fair for the teams that are on the outside looking in, trying to make the playoffs? Do you think that would be fair? Hey, Sal, we, we already here now. We already here now. You should have been playing better. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. You know, with the teams that's on the bubble, you done had a month off. Now you're going to have to Whatever momentum you had is gone. And so how are you going to regenerate any type of momentum where all of a sudden you'd be, like, encouraged to try to get to the playoffs? We're already here now. I mean, that, that ship's done sailed. You missed the opportunity the first 50 games. Not right now. I mean, what has happened has happened. Now we got to come up with the best solution to go ahead and finish the season, you know, with in mind that we don't want to drag it out into, you know, the winter of next year, you know, trying to get that season started because that, that season in itself is going to have to be condensed. So you're trying to do two things at the same time, 
And for the teams that are on the bubble, it's just unfortunate. I mean, do you see any teams on the bubble right now that really have a chance to win the title other than the fact of making the playoffs? I mean, yeah, yeah, they have an opportunity to make the playoffs, but is it going to impact the end result? I mean, it's... That's that's great that you said that, and I mean, at the end, it all made sense when you wrapped it up, and you know, I totally have to agree with you. I mean, this is a situation that we couldn't prepare for, and they couldn't prepare for, and like you said, that ship has sailed, so we're trying to, the NBA is trying to do something to reconcile this season, right? So I certainly understand your take on it, and it makes sense, so... You know, when you're talking about the ninth seed being on the bubble, have a chance to make the eighth seed, I know they don't have a potential chance of, you know, winning the NBA championship. So that is a great point. And, you know, I certainly understand where you're coming from. But like you said, that ship has sailed. And and like you said, the NBA is trying to do something to, you know, get the sport back and pick up some momentum. So, you know, from your assessment on that, then, you know, a 10 to 12 game, to get ready for the playoff, you know, would suffice. So, you know, that was a great take. And, you know, I was listening, but I really didn't understand until you made that ending point. So I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. And like I said, it's unfortunate for the guys that, you know, that had a chance, but now there's nothing we can do about that because we're trying to, you know, get the NBA back started. But you said, you know, you know, shortening, you know, the next season, I don't think you would have to shorten that next season because, you know, they didn't had three to four months off and say, you know, you're going into the playoffs, you, you shorten it up to 10 to 12 games. You know, the playoffs will probably last into to August, right? So, you know, the next NBA season don't start up until, you know, October anyway. So you're only going to get a month off and we, we right back at it. So we should we should pick up things right where they left off if we can get this NBA season back together. So if you go late into August, if we, you know, get the season started, but, you know, Adam Silver's talking about, you know, there's no rush to make a decision here in May. So with him saying that, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any rush to make a decision. Whatever time, I think everyone is committed, number one. I think everyone is committed to finishing some type of season. So that that's a good thing. That, that certainly is a plus. Um, and being the fact that there's no rush to make a decision, it's also going to impact the start of next year, and you're going to have a game reduction on that season. But I think everybody will be at the point where they'll be able to readjust. What you don't want to do is get into a situation where these this season and next season run concurrent, and we don't allow the athletes to get an opportunity to rest, to get some time off away from the game. Yeah, they're getting time off right now, but we're getting ready to ramp back up and get the season going, and you don't want to just go like these games – which is going to be 10 to 15 games, right, playoffs, and then another, what, 82 games, and all of a sudden you got close to 100 games for some guys, and then at that point muscles get fatigued and injuries start happening. 
Yes. So we, we, we need to make sure we allow some time to, you know, give the athletes an opportunity to get their body rejuvenated, and we don't want to run the seasons back-to-back. Personally, I think a month off is really quick. You know, I'm thinking more or less, you know, month and a half, two months off. You know, maybe that's too long, but at the same time, you know, I think you need to protect the athletes. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair. I mean, I, I could see it playing out like that. So hopefully we can get something started sooner than later so we'll know the format on how they're going to do the, you know, these last couple games on what it's going to take to get into a playoff format and then look at the scheduling of the playoffs on how Adam Silver is going to conduct that. But it's going to be very interesting because a lot of these guys, they're eager right now, and these guys want to play. And like I said, at first, a lot of guys, you know, when this pandemic happened and everything was canceled and the way they was going to start it, playing games without fans, a lot of guys really didn't, you know, see fit doing that. But now, as time has taken its toll and it's been longer than what they expected, hey, they'll play in front of nobody. They just want to get back out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how this is going to play out. Now, hopefully, you know, we'll have some answers sooner than later. You know, since we don't have no live basketball going on, there's a 10-part documentary that's going on right now. It's called The Last Dance, and everybody has been, you know, glued to the TV on Sunday nights, you know, checking out The Last Dance. And um, on a previous podcast, I've talked about episodes one through six. And today we're going to talk about, you know, episodes seven and eight. And I know growing up, you watched a lot of basketball and, you know, you watched Jordan. I mean, you watched Chicago. I know you was a, you probably was a big Jordan fan, but watching this documentary, um, give me some of your takes and some of your perspective on what you've learned that you didn't already know about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls? I, I think, you know, it's always, you know, what, a lot of what we see is the game. 90% of what we see about, you know, any of our, you know, uh, stars that we like, we see the game. But it's very rare that you get an opportunity, as Jalen Rose always says, to peel to, to peel it back a little bit, to go behind the scenes. And, you know, a lot of, you know, his, his show, he talks about a lot of things behind the scenes and puts things in perspective. So with this documentary, it's, it's eye-opening that you can relive Everything that's going on, all the shots, all the competitive from the teams, you know, the Bulls and uh, Detroit, you know, the Bulls and uh, the Knicks. It's like you can relive all of that. But all the behind the scenes, man, it turns, it, it, it just shows you a different world that you've never seen before in this capacity. And the fact that we're all in stay-at-home situations, kind of quarantine situations, we're more in tune, 
you know, we're locked in on this. So we're, it's like things that we might, that might be a distraction to us, you know, because there's five, six things on TV, you're flipping back and forth. Now, at this time, this is the only game in town, and everybody's watching. And it's crazy that you said that because I've, like I said, I've talked about it on a previous episode, you know, episodes one through six and my take on what I've seen and what I think about Jordan now as I get older and from a fan's perspective and watching episode seven, it's crazy because like I talked about in episodes you know, one through six. Jordan always finds the smallest thing to light his fire, even if he has to make it up and go on something that wasn't said that he made up to fill his fire. And if you go back and look at episode seven or episode eight, when B.J. Armstrong, when they was playing Charlotte, and B.J. Armstrong beat Chicago in Chicago. And B.J. Armstrong had a, you know, he had a game. He was hitting everything, and Jordan was off that. And, you know, he really kind of rubbed it into Chicago. And like B.J. was saying in the documentary, he knew what it take to beat Chicago. He knew what pissed Mike off. He knew how to get up under the skin. And he did that. But Jordan took that. And he used that as personal fuel and motivation to come back that next game and light a fire to Charlotte. Even Glenn Rice touched on it. BJ knew he was wrong for doing that. And Jordan just depicted that. And when they showed BJ Armstrong sitting on the bench, because BJ that next game, he, he barely played because he shot like one of 10 from the field or one of eight. And Jordan had. I think he reeled off like 42 or 38. And he just used it. Like I said, Jordan is a savage, man. He takes any little thing and uses it for motivation. And he just, to me, he just has savageness written all over him. And for him to relive it and to talk about it now and the way he belittles these guys, it's comical to me. So on that take, what do you see in that aspect? I mean... You, you know, for me, it's kind of crazy in the sense that I might even say this. I never looked at Mike needing to be motivated to win. I just, oh, at this time, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you as, I'm, as I lived it. Let me say it that way. Yes. As I lived it. I'm saying I looked at Mike as literally just the best player. He's, he was the best player in the world. And really, I didn't see Mike through my lens being motivated, being irritated by certain things like, you know, the uh, players that, you know, BJ. Yes. I, didn't, I, I didn't look at Mike. I, I just, what I saw at the time, Mike had a bad game. Mike comes back the next game, Mike wins. Because I'm, I'm looking at Mike like he's just the best player. I wasn't looking at it at that time that he needed these things to fuel him to, to be motivated, 
you know, buy these things. Now, let me put it in perspective. I didn't see that with Mike, right? But I see it with Tiger Woods. I saw it. I look at it from a different perspective because I know Tiger was using different things to be motivated. I see it with LeBron. He's using different things to be motivated to get to that level. And I don't know why. I never looked at Mike from that aspect. I just looked at Mike as just the best player, and that's why he did what he did. So, I mean, it's kind of ironic that I see things from a different lens with different people. I didn't realize. Man, Mike was an asshole. I never saw it like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mike had really a bad reputation. Yeah. But I saw Mike just as the best basketball player. Mike wasn't really a good teammate. He made his teammates better, but he wasn't a good teammate. And it's crazy that you said that, and you you said you look at Mike, and you never, you just looked at him as the best basketball player when you was watching through your own lens, right? And we would have never known none of this that fueled Mike if this yes. documentary would have never dropped, because that's what I'm Mike exactly because Mike is speaking to this as of today. You see what I'm saying? And he's reliving everything he went through and he's letting everybody know that, hey, this cer certain situation, this filled me to do this. This cer certain situation filled me to do this. Because if you go back and look when they, you know, the episode when they was talking about the gambling issue, when they played New York, they was down 0-2. Him and his dad took a trip down Atlantic Sino. They tricked off some money, right? Big speculations come out. Oh, he got a gambling problem. Boom, 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 boom. He used that as fuel for the game three to torch the Knicks. And then if you notice after that, after they beat Knicks in the game three, they won three straight. After, so they won four straight games after that. So he used that as a little motivation. And then if you go back to, you know, previous episodes when, you know, they faced Portland in the championship and all the comparisons between him and Clyde Drexler. But Jordan wanted to let everybody know, nah, this guy's not on my level. And like he told Magic, because Magic was commentating the game, and Magic said he took a trip over to Jordan. They went out to, you know, get something to eat. And Jordan told him, hey, watch what I'm going to do tomorrow night. That's when Jordan had them six threes. That's when Jordan had, you know, he, he lit it up. But it goes back to that B.J. Armstrong situation. It's it's crazy that BJ knows inside that Bulls locker room what drives Mike. He knows in practice what drives him. And BJ always said, you know, he might have been an asshole, but he wanted to push everybody to be on his level. And they talked about, you know, the LeBradford Smith situation. LeBradford Smith, when they played the Bullets, LeBradford had the game of his life. Jordan was, you know, had a bad shooting night. LeBradford, they won. Well, Chicago won that game, and then they played them on the back-to-back. -back. Jordan went into D.C. and dropped 36 in the first quarter. So he used everything. It was like the Dan Marley situation. They said, well, Dan Marley can guard you. He can stop you. He can shut you down when they played Phoenix in the championship in 93. And he torched Dan Marley. So we wouldn't have known none of this stuff if the documentary would have never dropped. So I'm with you looking at, at it from my own personal lens 
You always thought, man, he's just the best basketball player. What does he need to fuel him? But as he speaks of it as today, just like when they showed that little clip of Gary Payton talking about if they would have put me on Jordan a little sooner, it would have been a different outcome. Jordan laughed that off. So, like I said, Jordan has a lot of savage in him. So, you know, as you touch on that, I'm glad that you said that looking through your own lens, you never thought that Jordan needed that personal motivation to do different things. And like you said, asshole of a teammate, the incident with Steve Kerr. Well, Phil Jackson put Steve Kerr in practice. Jordan was getting pissed off. But Jordan was just trying to let Phil know, man, how, how are you going to bail him out, man? That's not going to prepare him to play the likes of, you know, the New York, you know, Knicks, the Detroit Pistons and things like that. So, you know, Jordan was just trying to build up the toughness. But Steve Kerr got his respect and, you know, Jordan, you know, respects Steve Kerr. But, you know, I look at it like you. I never thought that Jordan needed that because I always thought he was the best basketball player. And there was another incident when Jordan, you know, stepped away from the game and Scottie Pippen was the man. And Scottie Pippen, you know, refused to go in on the last play in New York because they drew the play up for Ku Coach. What is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, that was a bad moment for Scotty, and it's unfortunate that he has to go back and relive that moment and, you know, kind of, you know, have people label him now, even though that was just a glimpse of his career in time. You know, that's the only thing that is really, you know, bad about that situation, that Scotty's got to go back and relive that. Scotty apologized to his teammates after the game and everything like that. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of folks probably forgot about that moment, you know. And seeing this documentary, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, it relives it. But also at the same time, you know, I'm wondering too, you know, how does Scotty feel about all of this? I mean, Scotty, Mike don't do this without Scotty. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it don't happen. It was the best one-two punch you know, at that time, and Scotty wasn't Mike, but Mike couldn't do it without Scotty. Scotty was so versatile. He was able to guard so many different positions. He was able to score. You know, he was a he was a perfect complement for Mike at the time. And as you can see, you know, it was a big two. It wasn't a big three. So two could get it done at that time. And I think Scotty, you know. I don't. I hope Scotty's not feeling a certain kind of way because of this. Uh, you know these episodes, um, because I think Scotty is underrated in a lot of uh, areas, and um, you know Scotty should be getting his just due just as much as Mike did. Well, you know Mike said it himself, man. Without Scotty, I don't have these six championships, and I've always told people. You know, I, I argue with a lot of people at work. You know, I, I talked to this old school guy at work and he understands exactly. And we and we got the same, you know, pers perspective on this one as I go back to that 91 championship when Chicago won their first championship. If you look at game one versus the Lakers, Jordan was on Magic. Magic was doing anything he wanted to do. And do you realize that was the game that the Lakers beat Chicago in Chicago, right? And then the next game... Phil says he had to make that switch to put Scotty on Magic. And once he put Scotty on Magic, that changed the whole series. 
that changed the whole series. And, you know, Scottie Pippen, like you said, he's underrated, man. And like you said, I, I hope um, Scotty don't feel slighted in no type of, type of way because the documentary is basically really focusing on, on Jordan. You know what I'm saying? It's really focusing on Jordan. I mean, it gives a glimpse of other players. Other players have the chance to voice what they wanted to say. But the main focus is on Michael Jordan as a teammate, Michael Jordan as you know, gambling and Michael Jordan as, you know, rising to the occasion and things like that. But like you said, I just hope Scotty don't feel, you know, slighted because Jordan said it himself. You know, without Scotty, I wouldn't have these six championships, man. And I totally agree with him. And a lot of people look at that in today's NBA. You know, if you look at all the champions, these champions had somebody alongside of them that, that could that could carry the load as well as the star player carrying the load as well. So it might not be a big three, but it's got to be two, you know, all-time great players to play to win a championship. If you look at the history of the champions that have, you know, been crowned, you know, when, when Cleveland beat Golden State, you know, they had LeBron and Kyrie, you know. Then you throw in a little Kevin Love, a sprinkle in there. You know, look at the Miami days. LeBron had, you know, Chris Bosh and D. Wade. Look at Golden State. Golden State had... You know, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and, you know, Draymond. Then they had Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and, and Kevin Durant. You look at the way the champions are formed, man. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. Then you look at the Spurs when they had, you know, Ginobili, you know, Parker, Kawhi, and, and Manu. You know, it, it's crazy. So, I mean, to go back and think that, you know, Chicago would have won six championships without Scottie Pippen. People are, you know, sadly mistaken. So you got to give Scotty his just dues, man. And it's kind of crazy. And then like Dennis Rodman, when he came in for the third run, you know, Dennis Rodman was basically saying, hey, if I wasn't on that team, I don't think we would have, you know, ran off three. You know what I'm saying? And and I'll go back and look at when Jordan took time off to go play baseball. And then he came back and got Chicago in the playoffs and they faced Orlando and they lost. You know, that season, end of the season, he said, you know, he didn't have time to get his body together and play in the basketball shape. He used it as motivation again to come back that next season. What happened when he came back that next full season? That's when Chicago won 72 games. They won, they went 72 and 10 and, and won the championship. So, you know, it's a lot of things that we see that we didn't see that Jordan talks about. It, it's kind of crazy, man. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, I mean, you know, one of the things that I, I, I learned through this whole process and, you know, it, it put a lot of things in perspective and it changed my mind about a lot of things. Um, number one, like I said, I didn't realize that Mike wasn't really a great teammate. Mike was really, you know, focused on uh, winning. And a lot of the stars, individual stars, like that the best at what they do, Mike was one of them at one time, right? Mike was the best in the world at basketball. Yes. And Tiger Woods, best in the world at golf. Tiger wasn't a good, he, he, he wasn't really sociable, so to speak. He wasn't. Because he took on an attitude that he really didn't have a lot of friends because he wanted to beat all of those guys, you know? So 
Then you get to Kobe. Kobe was the same way. You know, rest in peace. Kobe was not a great teammate. But what 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 I found out was Kobe was really taking advice on how to act from Mike. Mike, exactly. Everything. Yes. Everything. So 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 when when you say you know, you don't like Kobe, like why why did I not like Kobe? I didn't like Kobe because one, he was trying to be like Mike. I didn't really realize he was getting information from Mike. And then the compound on that, Mike said it himself. Yes. Winning has a cost. Exactly. And 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 that cost damages relationships. Because the extreme in which those guys went to to win. And the same thing with Tiger. Tiger's trying to reinvent his image, and it almost looks awkward right now that he's trying to be friends with these younger guys when he was never friends with anybody. You know, Kobe, at the same time, it was like, Kobe was tough on his teammates, but what he was doing was pushing his teammates to get to that championship level. You know, that's why Kobe was an idiot, you know, or people thought Kobe was an idiot. Kobe didn't really have that personality. It's kind of like it coincides with what's going on right now. Man, this winning thing at all costs creates social distancing, case up. Because they distanced themselves from everyone. They didn't have a personality that was relatable to other people. And and it's like what we missed right now, not necessarily with this pandemic, but what we missed with Kobe and his tragedy with the helicopter crash, we, we missed the opportunity for him to explain his story in the same way Mike just explained his. Now, everybody would love to hear Kobe's story and walk through all of the different situations, you know, and get a different perspective on his entire career. You know, and and we missed that opportunity. We won't ever get that opportunity unless they got something in the vaults that we just never knew existed. But we missed that opportunity. Now, as it comes forward to today, LeBron is a hybrid of all of those guys. LeBron is trying to make his teammates better, okay? LeBron really is an asshole to his teammates because he's always trying to take up for his teammates through the media, on the court, and all of that. So LeBron is like... He's taken all of that and learned from all of them. You know what I mean? He does take on, you know, friendships now with the younger guys. And some people have a problem with that because he's too friends with too many people. Where the older guys are like, nah, he should be competing against them guys. And these guys as friends and buddies are hanging out, going, you know, going to dinner and stuff like that. And it's like, 
he's he's a hybrid. He's something totally different than what those guys did, and he's still accomplishing the same thing. He's still regarded as one of the greatest in the world. He's still, you know, winning championships, so to speak, or he has won championships. So it's it's one of those things where he's collectively looked at everything that's done happened. He studied the game. He studied people, and he's learned from it. It's unfortunate that Mike lost a lot of friendships. I mean, him and Charles Barkley, same thing. Yes. Tiger Woods, no longer friends with Mike, no longer friends with Charles Barkley. These guys, because they had, you know, they they almost isolated themselves so much that they lost everything. Yeah. And that's what we're starting to see right now. Yeah, I totally agree with that, man. And um, it's made some great points, man, some valid points, man. And I hope when people listen to this, they'll understand exactly where we're coming from, you know, two sides, because everybody has their opinion on this last dance. It's very opinionated. I mean, if you look at the sports outlets that talk about it, a lot of people have different aspects and a lot of different opinions about, you know, Michael Jordan. And, and we have our own, you know what I'm saying? And it's always good to hear, you know, from ordinary people like ourselves. You know, when we talk about things like this and give our breakdown and our rundown on what we think, you know, what I'm saying because we watched it growing up, you know, what I'm saying a lot of these beat writers, they get stories and they just write about it. But I sat there and was glued to the TV every time Chicago played, you know, coming up. So like I tell people, I've seen a lot of this footage, but to relive it and listen to what Mike has to say as I'm reliving it. It is very interesting, man. And Mike just, like I said, I'm going to say it again. He is a savage. And, and he still speaks about it today when they bring up certain individuals. And he just puts it in perspective like, <laughs> y'all got to be kidding me. And it's crazy for him to sit there on national television and tell people what he thinks about these individuals. Just like when he went into the Hall of Fame. His Hall of Fame speech. He belittled a lot of people, but he didn't care. That's Mike. He said, winning, I tried to win at all costs. And that's what he did. So, like I said, man, <laughs> you go down as the GOAT. So, that's my take on that. And um, we're going to wrap this up. Um, but before we get out of here, just one quick point. I just want to get your take on... You know, the Dak Prescott situation here in Dallas, um, you know, his contract situation and a lot of things that, you know, a lot of people are saying because they did sign Andy Dalton, you know, to a contract amidst of, you know, the Dak, you know, speculations and stuff like that. As a Cowboy fan, you, not me, but you, can you please let people know what the situation is? I mean, for me, I'm looking at it from the team perspective, and because I'm looking at it from the team perspective and I know we need additional pieces, I just can't give the quarterback all the money. I mean, I, that, I, mean, that, that, I struggle with that aspect. I'm not saying that Dak doesn't deserve to be paid. I'm cool with Dak being paid. However, he can't take all the money and with quarterbacks you're talking about 30 million 
to $40 million to tie up in one player, then you're limited on what else you can add to the ingredients. And I think there's ways to get Dak his money, but he can't have all the money. And right now, I think the biggest hang-up is we want to sign Dak to like four or five years, and Dak wants a three-year deal because he knows in three years with the collective bargaining agreement, TV deals, and everything like that, there's going to be more money available, and he wants to re-sign at that point for a longer deal and get more money. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it, it all depends on if you want to win. And I'm not saying that he doesn't want to win, but we can give him the money, but he's not going to be playing with anybody because we're not going to be able to sign anybody else. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's that comes with the territory. As being a quarterback, you got high demands, and, you know, rightfully so, he deserves his money. But I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, you want to get additional pieces. I mean, I think offensively, the Cowboys have some nice pieces. Um, you still got Amari Cooper. You just drafted CeeDee Lamb. Um, you still got Michael Gallup. Now, you still got Zeke. But there's only one football. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, say the things about Dak. With that one football, how are you going to distribute that one football? Um, a lot of people are talking about C.D. Lamb is going to be that breakout, breakout guy for the Cowboys. But you got to understand... Man, you just signed Amari Cooper to a big deal. I mean, he's your number one guy. So, well, what are we gonna do there? So, um, kind of you know befuddled on a situation that you draft a CD Lamb, but at the same time you just paid Amari Cooper all that money. He's your number one guy. You're not gonna go away from him just to show people that we made the right draft choice in a CD Lamb. So it's gonna be interesting, man. And one one thing we can we can look at and we can go out on a high note high note on this podcast is that you know the commissioner he already said that Roger Goodell already said that you know the football season is going to start on time so we can look forward to that so we can go out on a high note so is there anything else you would like to say before we um wrap it up nah man i mean it's like i said it's always a pleasure hanging out with you you know rapping talking about you know, a little bit of everything doing what we do, man. So I appreciate you. I appreciate the platform that you have. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak to some of your listeners. And, uh, you know, right now is, you know, we're all in a situation. And uh, I just hope that everybody's safe. I hope that everybody makes smart choices. And uh, we'll get back at it soon. All right, well, I appreciate your time, and that's going to wrap up another episode of the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. Once again, I'm your host and the man behind the mic, KSAT, and we're going to catch you on the next one. Deuces. Thanks for listening to the Simply Ball Dropping Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share on all major platforms.